Welcome to Piecemeal, a podcast hosted by the EMILY Program and Veritas Collaborative. Piecemeal covers topics related to eating disorders, body image, and how society may influence our thinking. Please use your discretion when listening and speak with a therapist as needed. I'm your host, Jillian Lampert. Today, we're honored to have Holly Thorson as our guest, sharing her experience as a mother supporting her daughter, Madison, through her eating disorder. Holly is a dedicated social worker and advocate for children's mental health with 28 years of experience, including 21 years in children's mental health case management. Holly understands the challenges families face in accessing resources. Holly lives in rural Northern Minnesota with her husband, Chad, and has two daughters in sharing her family's story of her daughter, Madison's eating disorder. Holly aims to empower parents and let them know that they are not alone in their struggles. It means so much to us that you're here with us, Holly, to share your story. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Let's So let's start from the beginning. Take us back to the time when the eating disorder became part of your family's life. When did you first notice that your daughter Madison was struggling with, with something? It started back in 2014 when she was about 14 years old. Um, I noticed that she seemed a little bit, you know, more depressed than she normally was. I noticed, you know, in her clothes that there was, she would wear a lot more clothes to try to hide her body. We got her into therapy. And then as time went on, that's kind of when we started picking up on some concerns with her eating. Um, It seemed like her food choices would just get smaller and smaller um, until she just had a handful of foods that she felt, you know, safe um, to eat. I really noticed that there was an issue when um, she had visited um, an Asian market with her dad and came home with these uh, noodles. I'm not sure what they were called, but, you know, they were iridescent. They were essentially like no calories whatsoever. And that's when I noticed that I was like, what's going on? There's something not quite right here. So she, you know, eventually did end up um, having to go to Prairie St. John's for a short hospital stay. And then that was when it just started to be a little bit more prevalent and providers would say things to me um, and had questions about that. I didn't really want to believe it because, you know, I just think, okay, what do I do for a living? How, you know, I, how is it that I'm missing these things or how is it that I'm supposed to specialize in, you know, these things with kids and, but when it's your own child, all that knowledge is completely out the door. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense, right? That and and plus we hear parents a lot say, I, I didn't I didn't see it. And it's sometimes hard to see things in our kids when you see them all the time. They're there mm-hmm. and the and the changes don't seem as drastic when you are continuing to see them. So I mm-hmm. so you've had these concerns about Maddie and sounds like we're working to get her support. Um, sounds like she was struggling with some depression and and that probably complicated. They're wondering what you were concerned about. Do you remember mm-hmm. what it was like? Maybe say a little bit more about, about grappling with your concerns. Like what thoughts and feelings were you experiencing at the time when you were thinking about, should I be able to do something about this myself because I'm a mm-hmm. professional or tell yeah. us a little bit more about how that felt as a parent? Yeah. Well, it was, it was hard in that, you know, she was you know, 14 and that age is very awkward for most teens. So it was, 
hard to know, okay, do I say anything? Like, do I put attention on it? Or do I just think it's a passing phase? You know, I, I didn't know if it was like an attention thing. So I didn't really want to reinforce that. So it was hard. It was hard to know what to do. So, you know, we would just, when she'd go to the doctor, I would check to see, you know, medically, if she was medically stable, I would listen to what the doctors had to recommend. And finally, it just was at a point where I'm, I, I had to just face it that, yes, we have an issue. We, I have to do something about this. This isn't, she, this isn't something she can control any longer. So that was when we first um, went into um, an inpatient eating disorder facility in Fargo. And um, she completed that and then did some partial after that. Sometimes I feel like that kind of made things even a little bit worse because each program kind of has their own philosophy on doing things, their own way of doing things. But I felt that that particular program was too focused on numbers and had, you know, with, uh, you know, what's, what's the recommended daily servings for this and ounces for this. And the last thing you want to do is give, you know, an adolescent who's struggling with an eating disorder a bunch of more numbers to keep track of because it, it was just amazing of how she knew the calorie count in almost everything. And it was just surprising because it, I never knew she was doing that. Yeah. So, so it was little things like that too, where I, where I just knew more and more that things are really spiraling out of control. Yeah, it sounds like it. How, um, how was it with um, bringing your concerns to, to Madison? At some point you, I imagine, had to say, you know, hey, honey, something's wrong. Can you tell yeah. us about how you shared your concerns and then how did she react? I would just kind of mention things to her, like as they happened, um, you know, if we had, if we were eating supper and um, I noticed that she really didn't eat much, I would just kind of more do it you know, kind of nonchalantly, of, oh, I didn't notice, you, you know, you, you didn't really eat that much, you know, or are you, are you, you know, still hungry? Is there something else, you know, to try to keep offering different kinds of, you know, foods um, to her or, you know, beverages to her in hopes that she would find one that was more safe than the other. And when I say safe, that's, that's kind of that, the, you know, that, that eating disorder thought of there's liquids and foods that are safe and not safe. So I tried to just work with her on what she felt was safe because trying to force her to do it, you know, that that's just not going to work. That you know, and I wanted to make sure not to make her feel shamed or make her feel like there was something um or just to be angry with her. I mean, I I did not want to do that because I knew that you know, she couldn't, she didn't have control over the, some of this stuff. She didn't want to feel like this. Um, so, you know, I would try to do things like that, but there were times too, when she didn't have control of things. Like if we had to, if we're out of town, we had to go out to eat and we had to go to a restaurant. She would 
just kind of escalate because she didn't know what the menu was. She didn't have time to prepare ahead of time kind of as to what the, what the safe selections were. It just caused a, a lot of anxiety for her. So even though, you know, as the parents, like you try to be patient, you try to be understanding, there were times where I just wanted to scream, just eat, <laughs> you know, just drink water, just please do, you know, what can I do? Because it's it's hard to, to see them kind of spiral down and and become weaker and become you know, more just eyes kind of and cheeks. Um, you know, you can just tell when she's just not doing well. So it's it's hard to see your child do that. So kind of becomes too, you know, just a, a control thing for her. It was things she could control in her life. Just over time, I learned, you know, what's what's good and what's not to do with with Madison. And it might be different with a different child. But I just did not want to make her feel judged or make her feel like she was in trouble or, you know, so that she felt free to come and talk to me about it and to open up because she knew that it was, you know, something she was could talk about safely, I guess. Yeah. that's So it's so important to have that safe place to talk and support. It is something you said earlier really struck me and, and I just want to reiterate it because I think it's so true for so many people who struggle with an eating disorder, you said, you know, she didn't really want to feel this way and it feels, mm -hmm. feels really uncomfortable. And I, and I think you're so right that, mm -hmm. that people with eating disorders don't want to feel that way. And, mm -hmm. and I think because of the way, you know, now that we know a lot more about the neurobiology of eating disorders, and we know more about what the illness does in the, the brains of people mm -hmm. with this illness, that it, it really sets up this dichotomy. That's so difficult because the person struggling with eating disorder doesn't want to feel that way. And at the same time to change what they're doing is so scary that mm -hmm. that feels overwhelming too. So they're left with this untenable choice of how do I try to somehow feel better? And it's not to say at all that it, that there's any choice in an eating disorder mm -hmm. uh, other than really continuing to choose every day while you're struggling in recovery to fight it. Uh, but the illness really sets us up to, to have those, have that, untenable situation of, I, I don't want to feel this bad. And if I do anything different, I'm going to feel worse. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think as, as a parent, it's so hard to see your child wrestling with that. And it's so hard to wrestle with that. When you mm -hmm. were talking about the restaurant situation, I, I, I remember I, I had an eating disorder and I remember sitting in a restaurant with my parents in a, in a, in another country and it was so scary and I had no idea to what to get. And I didn't want anything. And it was so overwhelming. And I ended up crying in the bathroom. You know, I feel like there's so many times people with eating disorders have those stories of like, I just felt so overwhelmed and couldn't, couldn't do. And all that feels just terrible for everybody involved. Um, but I do think it helps us to continue to talk about like, that's part of the illness. Like that's what these illnesses do to people. They make it feel like if I could just manage it ABC way that I could feel okay. And I think that's where that, that perception that people have that eating disorders are about controlling things comes in that somebody with an eating disorder doesn't set out to control things. It's a side effect of the illness that mm -hmm. you feel like Oh, if I just do this, if I just eat those right noodles, or if I just eat the right safe foods that I'll feel like it's okay. And that that mm -hmm. comes across as like kind of controlling or, or sometimes to your earlier point, like can, can seem like, is somebody trying to get attention with this? 
And that's not, you know, right. That's not it at all. It's really the the byproduct of the illness, how it comes out. So when, when parents see that it's, it's always, I think it's a, it's a good sign to know like, oh yeah, there, that's a time to say something because it's not that, you know, the, the child is being obstinate for teenage sake, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that the illness is, is really changing the way that they're thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, one of the things that it was like the, the, the magic question or the golden question all along was, okay, what can she control and what can't she control? You know, what, what is the eating disorder versus, you know, what are her making, you know, choices? I mean, that, that was always, you know, that I thought if I can get the answer to that, it'll be so much easier. But one one day Madison said something to me that it was like it just was it was eye-opening and I finally understood she had said that there's days where the eating disorder is so loud that she can't tell that she can't tell what's you know what's her voice and what the eating disorder voice is so that was really eye-opening to me. It gave me a better understanding and just how how complex an eating disorder is. I, you know, in the beginning, you know, you just think, okay, a kid's just not eating. They're just, you know, trying to be difficult. They're trying to, you know. But as I went on, it, it's just, it's just amazing how complex it is and how it literally just slowly just destroys your child's brain yeah yeah and the the very thing that will help their brain is the nutrition and the food they need which Mm -hmm. is where all of the wrestling match happens and it's exactly And, and just even like with with the mental health portion of it you know you can try every medication that there is to help with the depression and anxiety. But if they're malnourished, if they don't have enough fat resources in their body, that medication is not going to work. So that was really difficult to, you know, thinking that if, you know, if only there, you know, she was not malnourished, the meds might work. And then if the meds work, maybe that will help her feel better and make her eat more, you know? So it's it's just a very complex disease. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Along those lines, so looking back at your your experience with multiple providers that you interfaced with, what did the most helpful ones do? What did what did what did you need as a mom? And what did you know? How did treatment centers assist or providers sort of assist or fall short in meeting mm-hmm. needs that you had as a mom? For me, I felt kind of a lot of frustration when. I would have to like, you know, bring Madison into like the ER, let's say, where, you know, a lot of people, providers, they just, they don't know anything about eating disorder. So then, you know, you end up being the one to tell them, okay, you know, we've been in the ER many times for being dehydrated, malnourished. It's like, okay, you have to do the EKG. You got to do these labs. You got to, you know, it's like that, that was frustrating for me to have to tell them what it is that normally happens when we go into like an ER in Fargo or the cities or things like that. For me, when we got connected with 
um, like children's hospital, like their eating disorder program. I felt like finally I found a place that knows what to do, knows how to take care of her, you know, knows all of the, you know, the areas to check to make sure that she's medically stable, make sure her heart is okay, make, you know, and then we got connected with the Emily program. And that was when I just felt like, oh, we're home. It was a really, really good experience for her to be there. She's, she actually went um, for for like the Anna Weston house. She was there four different times. She did intensive day treatment through Anna Weston twice. And then when she became an adult, she did, she was there twice for residential and then twice for um, like the day program as well. So they're very wonderful staff. I, I like the family component of it where, you know, I was able to come there for, you know, big group family meetings with the rest of the rest of the, you know, parents of the kids that were there. It was just so comforting to know that I was with people who knew what it was like, who I could listen to their stories and their experiences and just, feel some kind of familiarity that, you know, I'm with my people, <laughs> if that makes sense. I know that sounds weird, but, you know, it, it's just just the reassurance and the comfort of knowing that where your child is at, they're, is, they're getting the best help they possibly can. And then as a parent, it just kind of, once you know they're safe there and they're, and they're getting taken care of, it's kind of a reprieve for you to just take a breather and kind of prepare for the the next hurdle. So providers definitely can make the experience much better than, you know, just kind of blindly going in, just assuming that just because somebody's a doctor or physician's assistant or whatever, you know, they don't necessarily know how to take care of somebody with an eating disorder. Yeah. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, something that struck me as you were talking about it, that I think that is a, a a common experience for families and for loved ones to feel like, okay, you know, I, I'm at a treatment place where these are my people and they they mm-hmm. get this. And I, I um, smile so much when you say that, because I think that if you ask our staff that work at the Emily program, they feel like the people they work with are their people. And that, that's it's just such a beautiful thing to be able to take care of people uh, and to to be part of the group of folks that that gets it for families mm-hmm. and for, for people struggling so it's a it's a wonderful it's a wonderful mm-hmm. thing in the in the midst of something that's really difficult and and can be life-threatening so it's um i appreciate the the struggle to to not have people know what to do and sometimes i think the other struggle that happens that I think you have experience with is that if insurance presents a challenge and doesn't quite understand what the situation is, can you share your experience of navigating the complexities of insurance coverage during Madison's treatment? Dealing with insurance was an absolute nightmare. Um, You end up learning all, even just the minor details of questions to ask insurance companies in order to know whether they're gonna provide coverage. There was a lot of waiting around. If 
for instance, if Madison was in residential and they would just pay for, they'd approve a couple days at a time. And then all of a sudden Friday would come and we would not know whether they were going to pay for additional days. So here we were in the cities, just walking around a park, <laughs> trying to buy time, waiting for the phone call to let us know whether I needed to just take her home because they were done paying or whether they approved a couple more days. Something as simple as knowing whether her treatment is coded as medical treatment or mental health treatment makes a difference because if it's coded as medical treatment, once she is eating something and once she is medically stable, they're done. They, there's no more treat, no more pain for treatment. So, so she can be doing well and then just abruptly be discharged because insurance won't pay for it anymore. So, um, it, it was very difficult having to rely on insurance as to whether your child was going to get the help that they needed or not. You know, one of the things that you know I found helpful was. You know, from the very beginning with, with Madison, when she first had her hospitalization, and is I, I just kept a list. And when she would go into the hospital, I'd write the dates, you know, and uh, when she was discharged. And I would just, I've compiled that list for over several years. I did the same thing for her medications. When, when you bring your child to, to try to get meds, you know, you just say, okay, let's just start a med and everything will be good. No, that's not that's not the way it works sometimes. So I just kept a running list as well of what medications, you know, what the dosage was, you know, the date we started, dates, you know, it was increased or decreased, um, discontinued, things like that. Because over time, when we would end up having to go to the hospital again, it was so much more beneficial just to have that list to give that provider as to what medication she's tried, um, when the last time she took a specific medication before it was before it was discontinued. That was definitely very very helpful because when you know your child is getting treatment, you know over several years span, you don't want to have her start a medication that she tried a couple of years ago that ended up having really bad side effects. And then here, you know, it's like you just want to try to use, make the best use of your time and to try to get your child to help as quickly, you know, as fast as you can. So having that information just readily available was was beneficial. Yeah, it sounds like you did an amazing job of tracking that so that you could help the next provider help you better. And what a task that is on you. That's Incredible. As you think about your experience, sort of looking back a bit, what what do you think has been one of the most challenging aspects of supporting Madison through her eating disorder? It, it just, you know, would always kind of come down to that question of what what can she help, what can she control, and what she can't she, because it made it difficult sometimes where you know you wanted to maybe address something. But, you, you know, you had to try to figure out, okay, 
do I address this as like something she can't control or is she, you know, like, okay, this is enough. I didn't raise you that way <laughs> kind of thing. You know, it's, it's hard. It's hard to kind of decipher back and forth. It was difficult to sit with her in many hospitalizations and listen to the doctors um, say, you know, that she's, medically unstable and how she, if she doesn't start getting treatment or again, or if she doesn't start doing eating or drinking or whatever, that the outcome's not going to be good for her. So it was just, it was really difficult to, to see your child suffer as much as they did. And then all at the same time, just trying to remain positive and hopeful and and encouraging and to try to help them know to never give up that you know this is just kind of this is just a chapter of our life we're in this isn't this isn't how it's going to be forever it's always going to get better we just have to keep pushing forward and you know just keep plugging away and that's all that's all you can do absolutely what What's been the most rewarding aspect of supporting Madison through this? It was, it was really, to me, it was really rewarding along the way when I would like know she's struggling, but she was able to like overcome it. If it was really difficult for her to like, say, you know, eat something, but yet she did it anyways. It, it, it was all those like little moments where I just knew it, it, she was gonna, she was going to get better. It was all the little things that just build upon each other to show that okay, some of this knowledge is sinking in. You know, she she is feeling better. It's been incredibly rewarding to see the amazing strong woman she has become. She has decided to you know look at her challenges and do something with that instead of being, you know, a victim or being just focusing on for me, look what I had to go through this and that she she's using that. And she is just trying to help people already. And I even, you know, I even tell her that if I'm working with somebody and I'm able to, you know, share whatever knowledge that I have learned along the way with that parent to let them know you know, you're not alone. This, this is, you know, I know what you're going through. I always make sure to tell Madison, you know, guess what, Madison, you helped somebody today. You know, what you went through has, you know, helped another child. And that I think helps kind of fuel her to do, you know, what she does. Um, she, you know, she's going to school for social work herself to be a therapist. And I know she's really interested in working with kids, you know, who struggle with eating disorders. So it, it's just been really rewarding to see how far she has come and how hard she has fought. You know, I can remember hearing her say that she feels like people don't see the real her, they just see the eating disorder. And she feels like she has to work really hard just to show and prove to people that, you know, I am capable of doing very well. So it's just, it's, it's just 
wonderful to see how far she's come. Yeah, that's awesome. It's so exciting. And I know we're, we're going to get to talk to her as well. So in a future podcast, we'll get to hear from her, which we're really excited about as well. Mm-hmm. Holly, one of the things, and you, you highlighted it earlier, that the you're not alone aspect mm-hmm. of this is so powerful. So I, I would love to close our time together with this question. So there are parents out there right now, families out there right now, struggling, wondering, how do I support my loved one? Will this get better? What message would you share with parents or families who might be supporting their loved one with an eating disorder right now? Don't be ashamed. This isn't something to hide. It's really easy to kind of fall into that um, state of mind of like being embarrassed or being ashamed and trying to cover it up or trying to make it look like it isn't as bad as it is. Just who cares about what everybody, anybody else thinks? It doesn't matter. Your focus just needs to be on your child and to do whatever you possibly can to help them. And this, you know, this sets the foundation for the rest of their life. So now is the time to try to get them the help that they need so that when they, as they get older, that it's not something that, you know, they struggle with to the point where they can't, you know, function throughout the day. So just who cares what anybody else thinks? Just focus, you know, focus on your child and, and, um, and love them and reassure them that it's going to get better too, because sometimes it's when they're in that dark low place, you know, they can't necessarily see tomorrow. So you have to help paint a picture of what tomorrow can look like. Yeah. Wow. That was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Holly, so much for sharing Mm -hmm. your story with us. You're welcome. If you enjoyed today's episode of Piecemeal, please subscribe, rate, or leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Learn more about us at emilyprogram.com and veritascollaborative.com or search Emily Program and Veritas Collaborative on social media. Piecemeal is produced by Angie Mitchell and Nancy Linden with music by Dan Forkey. Until next time, take care. Thanks for listening.